Hello and welcome to today's computing podcast with me, computing technology analyst Peter Gothard. Today we're tackling the subject of GDPR and how it relates to cybersecurity. Um, it was only actually back in November 2017 that my own research for Computing's last security summit revealed that only 28% of UK organisations feel confident that they will be GDPR compliant by May. Meanwhile, a staggering 42% said they've only just started to prepare, while 13% are still waiting and seeing what their peers are going to do, and even a rather huge 6% say that GDPR is not on their radar at all. But with fines threatening to reach the heights of 4% of annual turnover, a figure which we estimated at computing um, would equate to 1.9 billion from the 2016 Tesco bank disaster, uh, if GDPR had been in effect back then, uh, really, you've got to admit this is all no laughing matter. And nothing will help enterprises feel the pinch more than the new breach reporting deadline, which will now just be 72 hours and forms the beginning of the basis of today's um, podcast discussion. So joining us today is Anish Chohan, who is Director of Equilibrium Security Services, and Eves Mertens, who's Director of Cybersecurity for EMEA at Cisco. Thanks for the introduction, uh, Peter. Yeah, as you quite rightly say, I'm Anish Chohan. I'm the owning director of Equilibrium Security Services. Um, so we're a totally focused security company, and we've been giving security solutions for businesses of all sizes for a number of years now. And clearly, we're excellently positioned to discuss and talk about and advise our customers about GDPR, which is hopefully what we'll be doing today. Great. Thanks, Anish. Um, I guess it's also worth pointing out that um, over at Equilibrium, you guys have actually set up a, a special part of your website to kind of deal with this podcast and, and some of the topics sparking from it. And people can find that at um, www.equilibrium-security.co.uk forward slash podcast. And if they want to get hold of you directly on the phone, um, I believe they can they can call you and speak to you on um, 0121 663 0055. Great. So before we move on, maybe kind of an intro, um, Anish, let's let's put you on the spot. Uh, hackers are inside your system. You've got 72 hours to report whatever they've done. What do you immediately do at this point? Well, the first thing to do is to stop the infiltration, stop the attackers from propagating your network and your systems. But bear in mind, though, that where you've detected their presence might not necessarily be where they've actually entered your network. Um, because the mean time to detection is a worrying 100 days. So that means 100 days could elapse from when an, an attacker enters your network to when they're actually detected. But there's key, three key factors to, to consider at this point. You need to detect the breach, you need to report it, and you need to investigate it. So but by detecting it, when an organization realizes that something uh, is, is compromised and something's not right and someone's entered um, the network, Let's say you're in a good place. It's not 100 days, it's 10 days. That's still a worrying amount of time to when somebody's actually accessing your information. Just imagine that. Stop and think about that for a moment. 10 days has elapsed and you've only just realised that your information's been accessed. So at that point there, you need to ask yourselves whether the mechanisms you've got for detecting a breach are adequate. I mentioned report. You've got to report it. So as part of the GDPR, you need to report a breach to the ICO. That's the supervisory authority in the UK. Now, this information has got to be detailed. You need to say, how did the breach occur? What information was taken? And what steps have you taken to remediate and prevent this from happening again? And then thirdly, the third thing to consider is investigating it. So in addition to knowing the how and the what, 
what further investigation needs to be taken place to know whether attack was, for example, was it specific targeted at your organization or was there a simple global campaign in inverted commas yeah, being undertaken by the cyber criminals? Thanks for that, Anish. Uh, that's, that's a really good kind of overview, really, of what people have to remember. Um, all right, so I think a question that's, that's been occurring to me and quite a lot of other people is, you know, at this point, who's got my data? You know, where is it all being kept? How liable am I or my organization, you know, or both if it, if it goes missing or if it gets stolen? Um, Eves, can you kind of fill us in on, on, you know, what we should be remembering really with, with our data, where it's stored and processed? Yeah, so, um, yeah, companies uh, basically collecting and use the data of the employees uh, or customers, consumers, uh, to provide the given services or offer a particular experience. So every time that happens, um, the company is fully accountable for how they will protect such data, including a case, including case of a data breach. So to kind of sum up maybe both of the, these things that we've just been commenting on, does a GDPR compliant product, in inverted commas, exist? You know, can you just get something off the shelf to, to sort all this out for you? So in, in short, Peter, no, absolutely not. There's, no, there's any organization that, 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 that tries to tout uh, a GDPR compliant product um, is, is completely leading you down the garden path. I mean, social media, for example, is, is, is a wash with organizations that claim to have a product that will give them the proverbial tick in the box for GDPR, but in in essence, that product just does not exist. Um, it's such a wide ranging regulation that there's no one product, you know, that can, can really make an organization compliant. Um, it, it, it touches people, it touches process, it touches technical. Um, and if you think about it like that, it almost it's almost one of the most wide ranging regulations. So how can there possibly be a product that that makes an organization compliant. Sure. Do you want to shoot it down a bit more, Eves? <laughs> well, the short answer is no. Um, so, um, yeah, GDPR requires to put in place the, the policies, the processes and technology to stay in compliance and, um, and also to coach people in our organization to respect the GDPR requirements. There is uh, no product that is actually able to accomplish all of that at the same time. Um, so the thing is that, um, and, and Anish said it uh, perfectly, is that, um, yeah, typically going to uh, some gap assessments related to data protections, related to GDPR, is something that needs to happen. Okay, so the May time frame is going to be important on that one. And um, yeah, so based on that, um, we will have recommendations and these recommendations will be related to do we have the right policies, do we have the right processes and do we have the right technology to be compliant in place today. So um, it's much bigger than just uh, saying a product is GDPR compliant. Yeah. That sounds like good advice. I suppose at the kind of other extreme of the scale, that there may be a school of thought, you know, which believes that if, if you sort of circulate a piece of paper around the office with a checklist of, of things you must do or must not do, you know, you can almost just process. There can just be a kind of human process. I mean, is that is that going to see similar levels of, of defeat? I mean, there is there is processes to be implemented, but in terms of just just circulating a process 
around an organization and, and telling everybody to make sure they follow this process is certainly going to be falling way short of the mark. Um, like we've said, uh, Peter, it's such a wide ranging and it touches so many different aspects of an organization, you know, legal, marketing, HR, technical. You know, there's not one process that you, can, that you can tell all these organizations to read and follow and just tick a box to say or sign, sign at the bottom to say, yep, they've read and understood it and therefore the organization is making individuals liable for their for their um for their compliance with gdpr that that's certainly not not going to be the case really what i'm doing here is kind of going through you know what i i feel are the things that people are just asking the most really when they're kind of worrying about all, all this process but mm. uh so we have the right to be forgotten um obviously there's a there's a removal process there and, and the need to to document that process i mean again is this is this something that people can kind of get some kind of assistance with when they're trying to dig through their systems to actually find references to people like what's, what's the first way they should start to approach this yeah i think this is going to be an area that people are really going to need to tighten up their acts on um because it's not something a lot of organizations are going to be used to and accustomed to be doing so the process that ensures that an organization has that right to be forgotten um is going to is going to be where people are going to really need to, need to improve themselves i mean for example i've i've tried to unsubscribe myself from a, from a major hotel chain for no, no less than about five or six occasions and uh, although i have attempted uh, been tempted to, to to report them to the ico i haven't done yet but you know that's you know, <laughs> it's clear as, as, as a user uh yeah as an, as an end an end individual i can i can see that they have no process at the moment for taking people off their their unsubscriber list and that's really there's no real excuse really something as simple as that organizations should have a process around that and yeah for sure there's going to be lots of companies that really need to tighten up their act around around that right to be forgotten because you know there's a definite belief that this is where the ICO is going to be going to be focusing a lot of their attention certainly initially yeah I, I guess to an extent it's kind of low-hanging fruit for the ICO if they want to be seen to be doing something so I, I guess there could be a prevalent fear that they, they will pick on these slightly easier issues so hopefully a bit of fear motivation might might stop all this uh, newslettering and special offers <laughs> um yeah so meanwhile i guess if, if we talk about mandatory breach reporting which i i think i covered slightly in the intro um I, I believe that's 24 hours actually in most cases or 72 hours if you have a kind of exceptional reason for your late reporting um eves what's the difference between the normal case and an exceptional case and, and how do we truly know which is which yeah so under the gdpr you actually have 72 hours 72 hours from when you know yeah and the no is when you are certainly aware that the breach has occurred and um, if you have a solid security architecture in place uh, you will know through your detection structure yeah so um there are um, definitely, and that's what you see today on the market uh, with customers, with partners, is to make sure that we have SOC environments in place that can definitely uh, look into the integrated security architecture and yeah, looking into yeah, the detection structure and do the right reporting uh, like the demand in GDPR. So um, I can tell you there is a, a big wave about that uh, to uh, be as accurate as possible. Uh, but the important element in the GDPR specification is the no. 
Okay, just to add to what to what Isa said there, the, 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 there's a couple of key things to to, to bear in mind. Um, there is there is a 24 hour um, thing that has been kind of you know bandied about, but that's I think that's been interpreted from the term in the regulation that talks about without undue delay. As Eve quite rightly said, it, it's actually you know the, the regulation says that you need to be reporting within 72 hours. But of course, like like Eve said, is the 72 hours that what you need to report is you know how they got in, what they took, what was accessed, etc. It's got to be a comprehensive report, and without that good level of monitoring, then the, you, you just you're not going to be able to do that. And that's where the ICO are potentially going to going to come down quite hard. But there's a couple of um, couple of exceptions actually, which is worth noting that in, in which circumstances you don't have to uh, report to the ICO. The one of them, that's probably the key one, is if you've got appropriate technical protections around that data that's been accessed. So let's say, for example, you know that you've been breached, but the information that was accessed was was fully encrypted. In those circumstances, and if you can categorically say there's no way for the attacker to have accessed that information, then you don't need to report that to the ICO. You can say, I know for sure that this information was not accessed and therefore we don't have to report it because we know it's not really a breach. But there's two other areas which are really ambiguous, uh, which I think you'll probably agree. The first is that it says, if the controller, that's uh, the data controller, has taken appropriate steps to ensure that the high risk is no longer a factor. I mean, what does that mean? That could be open to enormous <laughs> misinterpretation. Um, and, uh, and, and, and there's another factor that talks about if it, if it involves a disproportionate effort, again, but how, who, how, how can you quantify whether reporting it is, is a disproportionate amount of effort to the risk, again, open to masses of uh, misinterpretation there. Oh, yeah. I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out, really, isn't it? Um, that there's going to have to be a few, I guess, high-profile cases to really start to lock in what some of this phraseology means, uh, set precedent, Absolutely. you know, as it were. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Thanks for that. It, it just shows you can always go a bit deeper with, with uh, you know, both the definition and the interpretation of these legislations so plenty still to play for really um yeah. all right so another thing uh which you know suddenly has reared its head is everybody's talking about pii now uh personally identifiable information uh you know what is it exactly and and how can we make sure it's safely stored and, and maybe used or access differently to how it was in the past um maybe eves uh, back to you on, on pii yeah maybe uh let me spell out the uh acronym <laughs> uh, yeah so pii pii is uh, the personally identifiable data um is anything that relates to a living person yeah so and in a data-centric economy where the person is at the center of possibly any solution, the definition of personal data is expanding to cover also data such as a MAC address or an IP address. And protecting data is everyone's responsibility. So the security, the security team in the different organizations of the companies should have a solid security architecture in place. And let's face it, with an increasing amount of hacking attack, a firewall is today's not just enough. You need to secure the data end-to-end -end and be ready in order to minimize the risk. 
And um, in our previous podcast we made about hacking, uh, we were speaking about the layered security, and that's becoming a very important component, uh, also called out as the uh, integrated uh, security architecture. Just to, to add on to and add on to what uh, what he's saying as well is although the the PII talks about you know the, the, what we all think to be PII the name address birthday national insurance number in the UK or social security numbers in the US um, is also financial information credit cards bank accounts all of these but but in the context of sort of GDPR's personal data it can it could even be um, you know social media posts its photographs lifestyle preferences. Uh, and and you know the, the the IP addresses and things as well. So so it's it's a, what what can what could be considered to be PII is is is, is fairly wide ranging. And so really, a lot needs to be done to to consider what is PII and how it's stored, how it's encrypted, and and how it's how it's protected essentially. Excellent point. Thanks for that, Anish. So finally, um, more buzzwords and phrases. IDAM. Identity and Access Management. Um, obviously, there's now a need to focus on this much more closely as GDPR comes along. I mean, you'll have these scenarios where, for example, you've got people working in a third-party capacity, you know, who are accessing your company data directly, extracting it. You know, they they could be taking it anywhere, sending it anywhere. Um, there's going to be a lot more to worry about just in terms of keeping an eye on who accesses your, your systems and, and your data. Um, where are we up to with that? Yeah, let me give me a short answer on that one. So um, as companies, you, um, you really need one. And uh, you need to make sure it is respected and kept up to date at all times uh, because at any moment you can be uh, confronted with that. And um, identity management uh, will help you streamline your processes and get clear rules on the level of access you want to grant um, to which personal data. And um, that is so key that you get that uh, documented. Um, Anish, anything to add? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, organizations that have a lot of, um, you know, comings and goings of their, of their of different types of staff, of contractors, of different people who, you know, people at work, you know, let's say a building contractor for, for, for argument's sake, they, the, the, the staff that they have and the people they're working and accessing information is so um, a transient, I suppose. It, 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 they're they're really key. Organisations like that are really key because they have, you know, any one time two, three hundred new people joining, accessing the information for a relatively short period of time. It can be as little as sort of, you know three to six months, and then they move on again. Then new sets of people. So having an, an identity and access management um, system that manages that, and and so that when somebody does leave, switching off their access to critical data is easy. You know, if if there's if if logins are simply handed around and how do you possibly control that as people are coming and going all the time so to conclude there really is no silver bullet solution for gdpr it's about integrating a range of practices into your business as you move forward uh, so really best of luck in may and beyond with your gdpr and we hope you found some useful information in this podcast today. Uh, before we wrap up, um, I thought really, if I just go back to Anish and Eves and just ask really if you guys have any final takeaways from today's session. Um, Eves, maybe if we start with you. Well, I think GDPR is, um, is out now. Um, if I look um, to the partner landscape, any partner uh, has taken this serious and um, and um, yeah, definitely are asked by customers to um, 
do gap assessments, get their opinion, getting a GDPR in a box solution in a certain way, or what are the 10, uh, the 10 uh, advices that you can give me to be uh, GDPR compliant. So, um, so I think uh, we need to take this very serious. It's a regulation, and uh, um, yeah, if you, um, you, you, you're going to be hacked or you will be uh, by, identified by a um, data protection breach at a certain moment, um, you will have to pay an, uh, a lot of money as a company. And um, so my, my conclusion would be the following. is I think um, our partners um, uh, play a very important role, and uh, specifically here Equilibrium, um, to do this gap analysis. And um, we had in this uh, podcast also the, the call-out about an, uh, uh, is GDPR, um, yeah, do we have a GDPR-compliant product? And uh, we definitely uh, negated that. And uh, so I think uh, when you do these assessments, um, and certainly for the security element in the environment of GDPR, there will be um, recommendations um, definitely coming up in uh, in certain domains, and uh, I think it would be good to call out these domains. It will be domains uh, related to uh, how you make your data center more secure. Um, how um, do you set up a um, network segmentation and access control? Uh, network segmentation is becoming very key, uh, knowing that uh, more and more we try to connect any type of device to the network. And if you look to the, the latest cybersecurity report that has been published uh, by Cisco, uh, you can see that um, all the malware um, that uh, is coming through our hackers or attackers in a certain way is becoming more complex and is hitting basically the network. So that's where also the integrated architecture is playing a very important role. The other element um, that uh, has um, um, elements to look into is the breach detection and uh, notification. And then um, definitely um, the protection of data into uh, in cloud applications. So, so these are four domains um, that typically um, by partners, uh, by doing assessments, we'll need to take under the loop is uh, how to secure the data center, network segmentation and access control, breach detection and notification, and then definitely uh, how to protect data in cloud applications. Thanks very much, Eve. And over to you, Anish. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, GDPR is kind of one of the most wide-ranging regulations that we're probably going to see in our time. Um, there's so many aspects it touches. It touches legal, marketing, HR, technical, um, procedural. The, 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 there's no there's no flow chart, as we discussed before, that, that businesses can follow. And so so I guess to add to what, what Eve said, there are those four areas, but certainly starting with a gap analysis, uh, understanding where you are now, where do you need to be in all those kind of areas will really, really assist a business in understanding where they need to improve. Thank you, Eve, and thank you, Anish, and thank you, the audience, for listening to this computing podcast brought to you today by Cisco and Equilibrium. And please do look out for our other podcast in this security series entitled, Is Your Enterprise Cloud Really As Secure As You Think? And don't forget to check out computing.co.uk for all the latest news, analyses, and interviews from the UK IT industry. Thanks for listening.